looking at the five levels of listening, Oscar, which listening aren't you doing right now? <laughs> and I just had the biggest laugh and I said, I'm not listening to myself, Pete. And he said, well, what would you tell yourself in that case? And I just kept on laughing and I said, I just need to breathe a little bit more deeply. I need to drink water and I need to take some time to create a blank page so I can listen to myself. Welcome to The Ziggler Show. I'm your host, Kevin Miller, and I'm here to inspire your true performance. From the framework established by Zig Ziggler, one of the top motivators and personal development leaders our world has ever known, who believed we could all be more, do more, and have more. How? Improve ourselves, beginning with how we think about ourselves. So today, let's break down some personal development. All right, so today we're going to hear the healthy habits of a professional listener. Won't actually claim that title, but he is tremendous. He is a professional teacher of listening, deep listening. Uh, That was our show in number 651. It was tremendous. Today, however, we have our habit show. We walk through the seven spokes on the Ziegler Wheel of Life with Oscar Trimboli. Uh, I just received a requested case of his little book, Deep Listening, to give those closest to me. I'd really, really encourage you to get yours as well, oscartrimboli.com. Of interest to me in this show and discussing Oscar's personal habits, as you heard in the intro clip, he realizes that a person he often needs to listen to is himself. Uh, He also talks about his interest in photography, which he perceives as another form of of listening. I think you'll be as intrigued as I am in these habits of this deep thinker. So we'll get started with Oscar right after I share some great resources. Okay, friends, here then I bring you the habits of Oscar Trimboli. Okay, Oscar, I am uh, eager to hear about the, the habits of yours. I know one of them is, is listening, as we know from the first show, uh, but I want to go through the rest too. I'm sure that will filter into uh, a few of them. So starting off, Ziegler Wheel of Life number one is what do you do for your own wellness and success on the physical and nutrition side? I do know you go on consistent walks, so I can put that in there uh, with your, <laughs> wife, your wife and your dog, but what, what else falls in there? Yeah, um, so my wife and I support a cancer charity called Cantu and we run and we do ocean swim. So we twice a year we'll run a half marathon and uh, twice a year we'll swim two to two and a half kilometres in an ocean, about wow. a mile, a mile and a half. And um, a lot of people think that's very exciting in Australia because we have lots of sharks, just not in the part of Australia <laughs> we're in, so that's good. And um, so on a Wednesday night, Jen and I will be running in winter. On a Thursday night, we'll be swimming at the local uh, university pool. And then on Saturday mornings, you'll either find us at one of the beaches close by to us swimming 500 to uh, one kilometre or about a mile um, on a Saturday morning or running anywhere from, um, uh, uh, oh, let's do the math here, about 30 miles um, to anywhere from two miles to five, 13 miles on that. And putting ourselves in a group is my learning. So I, I always aspire to be uh, a better trainer and lose a little bit more weight and do a bit more exercise, but it's 
running in a group or swimming in a group that forces me mm. to get it in the calendar. And once it's in the calendar, it's not negotiable for me. Um, it's what I do. So that's been fantastic. In terms of um, what I eat and nutrition, I'm kind of boring. Um, I'm a vegetarian. I have been for about 20 years now. Uh, and um, so from that point of view, that kind of really limits your choice. Every morning I eat exactly the same chocolate protein shake. Um, so that's very simple. And um, my my wife would say my eating habits are incredibly boring. And uh, not only that, I don't drink alcohol, so I'm even more boring than that. So you finally met an Aussie who doesn't drink. Wow, okay, the, doesn't, the one. And, and doesn't eat at a barbie. All right. Thank you. That's uh, that's funny. Vegetarian, and that's most of my family and, and myself too for the past 25 years. Well, family and friends, and uh, that is obviously your immediate family, but if there's friends, things that you do to cultivate, to nurture those healthy relationships in your life. Yeah, I've got a, re you know, my wife's got a really wide circle of friends and I often get into comparison with her. I have a narrow group of very long-term friends. My best friend, Luke, um, we went to school together from the age of seven and uh, we speak um, on the phone. When the moment takes us, we're not deliberate and planned on that. There is a sporting festival in Australia, a particular game that would be a ritual for us to go and visit every year together. That would be our thing. And that was to celebrate growing up this it would be like the equivalent of the super bowl in the u.s mm. i would go to his family to watch this to watch this game and that traditions continued on and how i keep my my connection with with luke one of my uh, deepest and and longest term friends um but the opposite is true too um for people like Gary, um, it's kind of a texting relationship where we kind of stay in touch much more regular via text um, because our opportunities to see each other face-to-face -face are, are quite limited. So being deliberate about that. But I guess I've made a choice to have um, to be fewer, deeper friendships rather than a group of broader friendships. So I think in that it cultivates itself um, so, uh, yeah, I'm probably, for other people, I probably, uh, if you're not in the running group or the swimming group, it's probably hard to get time with me because my time's pretty much spoken for. So maybe my learning out of that is to figure out what I'm not getting by having a smaller group of friends and what I could be getting if I opened up my friends network a little bit more. Third spoke is mental the things that you do to keep energized, to keep yourself mentally sharp, to keep that edge, what are some of the habits that you employ there? Uh, probably a couple. Um, it's probably the one I struggle with the most. When you're on a quest to create 100 million deep listeners in the world in the next 21 years, um, time is always running out. I need to do things faster and faster and faster. So I think just talking to my business manager, Nell, talking to my wife, Jenny, about that or talking to Luke, um, I am so hard on myself. I set extraordinarily high standards. You've seen the artwork and the packaging on the book, for example. You're probably going to guess how many versions we went through to get there. And um, it's tough being in my head. 
um, I was fortunate enough to interview a suicide mm. counsellor who's telephone-based, and and he put me on the phone to listen in while that was going on. And he asked me the same question that you do, um, you know, what do you do to keep it clear? I think sport plays a really important role in that, the running and the swimming. I think that's really critical to me. Um, but if I look at the wheel, it's it's what I struggle with the most. Um, I, I'm really tough on myself, Kevin, and I, I, I probably, no, I do set unrealistic standards. I mean, who's got a goal to get 100 million of anything in the world? Um, uh, originally the goal was 10 million and my mentor said, do you think you can achieve that in your lifetime? And I said, oh yeah, that's going to be easy. And he said to me, well, if you can achieve it in your lifetime, it's not ambitious enough. What would scare you? And that's when we plucked out a hundred million, but that again has a dark side for me. That's sitting here all the time talking to me, how are you getting there? How are you getting there? As opposed to celebrating success along the way, Mm. you know? hanging up after this call, I'll probably get, I know I'm going to get straight into some research and what I should do is celebrate the fact that I've changed one person and one person matters as much as a hundred million. Let me ask you something on that because I actually thought about it in our main interview because you mentioned that as much as your focus is helping people listen to others, you also mentioned listening to themselves, listening to ourselves. So on this mental spoke, I was curious about you. Uh, Has there been a a learning curve, a growth curve for you in not just doing, doing, doing and producing, creating, researching, as you said, but learning to listen to yourself and take captive your own thoughts? Tell me about that. Absolutely. And um, one of my great um, teachers, Peter Cook, said to me one time, he said, you know, there's irony in your expertise. What you teach is what you need to learn the most. And, you know, I was talking to him about this titanic struggle going on in my head about this stretch to 100 million and the reality of sitting at my desk looking at rows and rows of Excel spreadsheet research data and getting frustrated that the detail wasn't getting there fast enough. And he said, looking at the five levels of listening, Oscar, which listening aren't you doing right now? (laughs) And I just had the biggest laugh and I said, I'm not listening to myself, Pete. And he said, well, what would you tell yourself in that case? And I just kept on laughing and I said, I just need to breathe a little bit more deeply. I need to drink water and I need to take some time to create a blank page so I can listen to myself. And he says, well, you go do that now. And we were in the middle of a 150-seat um, uh, facilitation, and I went, what? Um, so he said, no, just go in the other room, go and find a room that's quiet, and go and spend half an hour there, and you'll become more productive in this room, and it'll be lighter and it'll be more joyful rather than trying to process it in the room. And what a gift Peter gave me in that moment. And he said, as I left, he says, by the way, it's okay to forgive yourself. And I was like, yeah, that's, that was the, the lesson in that moment for me. And I think as entrepreneurs and business owners, um, we're the most excited and we're the most passionate about our idea, but we're also the hardest on ourselves. So mm. it's okay when we 
don't get there fast enough or it's okay when we do make mistakes because we're quick to forgive others but we're not quick to forgive ourselves and that's my learning well that's a gift to all of us right there thank you next one is financial um, as you've run a business, run a home, I'm sure there have been ups and downs there. What are some of the things you've employed to help your financial health? Yeah. So at the age of 18, I studied to be an accountant. And what I learned within six months was I had this thing called dyscalculus, which basically means I transpose numbers. So if you say 891 to me, I might write 819 or 918, which doesn't go well for a career in accounting. (laughs) So what I learned at that point in time is because of this, I need help when it comes to maths and money. So from that point on, I've always had an accountant. I have a bookkeeper as well in the business, and I also have a financial planner. Um, from my wife's first marriage, she she left it in a situation where she completely trusted her husband with the finances. And when we got together, I said, you know, one of the things I want to be completely transparent about is where I'm at financially and where you're at financially. And it was easy to be transparent because we literally had nothing. Uh, I remember moving into Jen's house with a basket full of clothes And that was my life's possessions as well as my car at that point in time. And and, and she was similar to, um, she had two amazing kids, Sean and Lauren. And from that point on, we've always had a financial planner. We always meet with them once a year. And we always kind of go, this is our plan for the year. We do a review throughout the year to go, how are we going against that? Because it's one thing to set a budget, it's another altogether to keep it so we don't struggle jen and i with the longer term you know we're saving for a holiday so we're going to india shortly as an example and we've saved for that we struggle with the day-to-day you know and the power prices in australia are going through the roof at the moment and we've had this amazing heat wave and i have this app on my phone which tells us how much the um, electricity costs every day and typically, it's costing us about $3 a day. But with this heat wave recently, um, one day in particular got up to $60 a day. Wow. And, I, and I said to Jen, oh, my God, it's like we have to be careful with the air conditioning and all of that. And she went, can you divide 60 by 365? I went, no. She goes, well, take the phone out and do that number. And I was like, yeah. and that's what she goes, you missed the point. It's a one-off don't worry about it. We've got it. We've got all our finances right. $60 is a couple of cups of coffee that we won't have over the year, or it's a meal we won't enjoy in a restaurant, but is it worth getting worked up about the power bill? So although we have these long-term plans, what I struggle with every day is simple things like that, that trigger me. Um, like $60, really, Oscar? <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like that's what you're getting worked up about. Um, but I think in our own businesses, um, you know, the amount of money I've invested to get the, the artwork and the branding that you've mentioned earlier on is significant. And there are days where I go, there is no payback on this. And then I'll do an interview with someone like Kevin and say it's beautiful, it's well-designed mm-hmm. and it's making a difference. But more importantly, it's getting read and applied, then it, then it's worth it. 
So, yeah, my finances are in an okay place because I've outsourced the fact that I'm not good at it. Mm. So I'm not, um, I got a very boring, I'm an index fund kind of guy. Uh, I don't have, um, you know, property portfolios that just keep putting the same money aside every month because that, not because I came up with the idea, it's because what my financial planner tells me to do. Um, but there are some days where you go, how am I going to make payroll next month? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it's just like, it happens. Um, and sometimes you go into savings and sometimes a sale emerges. Um, and again, that's that being tough on yourself plays out in the finances. Well, I'm committed to selling at least $60 worth of books or I'll buy them myself. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. We've just paid, paid for the electricity. Solve that electricity. Right. Uh, absolutely. And thanks to these sponsors for bringing us today's show. Uh, number five, Oscar, is the spiritual spoke. Tell us about the spiritual side of your life. Yeah, so I grew up and was raised by two um amazing migrants from Italy and they were Catholic and they took me to a Catholic school and probably till I wasn't a teenager that I kind of struggled with formal religion. So um, I guess I've been on a journey spiritually. I really have no clue. And um, someone recommended that I do a silent meditation about 10 years ago. And the silent meditation was over 12 days. You handed your phone in, it got locked up. Anything you could write with, anything you could communicate with was also locked up. And we went to a mountain camp outside of Sydney and I spent 12 days not talking. Hmm. And wow, that was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. But it was in that moment that I kind of realized that spirituality is within us and who we are and what we're being. And um, I think the higher power is always us and how we show up in the world and the energy we put out to others. And I've always struggled with formalized religions that preach thou shalt not kill and yet create wars. And so probably a bit more Eastern leaning in my spirituality, but it's not really formal. Um, I think the most spiritual thing I do is when I eat food, I make a point of showing gratitude for the food that I have in the morning so I don't do anything else while I'm eating. And I just want to be grateful in that moment for the sustenance I get in that particular meal. So it's probably as close to spiritual as I get, Kevin. Hey, I, food is spiritual in my book, no doubt. Uh, okay. Career is number six. And uh, as, as all of our guests, I'm sure you've done lots of things and a career is such a big part of your life's offering. Now, what are some of the things that you do to keep it on the right path, the path that you think is best and healthy for you? Yeah, so the quest is out there, 100 million deep listeners in the mm -hmm. world. Um, that's not going to be achieved in my lifetime, but it will be achieved through multiple generations beyond me. Um, so a lot of my career is figuring out how I'm blocking this idea and who I'm not being 
the trouble with being an expert on listening is you have to role model listening. And unless you are a listening role model, people think you're completely fake. So the struggle I have in listening is pointing out to people that I'm not an expert. I'm trying to improve every day. But more importantly, when I'm not listening, saying to the other person, sorry, I got distracted or giving myself permission not to be perfect. So I think for my career, it just started to be a bit more light with the idea about how to create a hundred million deep listeners in the world and just be a role model rather than trying to be an expert when it comes to listening. A lot of people get intimidated when they speak to me because they think they have to listen differently. And I worry that that's not a space of learning for them as well, whether that's speaking from a stage or in a training environment or the online courses that I'm going through the process of setting up. So I think my career is kind of reconciling mm. 21 years out and 100 million with what I've got to do today. And as Nell, my business manager, would say um, very elegantly all the time, Oscar, is this really getting us to 100 million listeners sooner? And that's kind of the guiding principle. It's the lighthouse for everything we do. Last one is personal. And this mm. is the one that I often cash it in, you know, fun hobbies, the things you do that are just for you. Obviously all these things are things that you do for you, but these are the things that make you a better Oscar, a more joyful Oscar. Yeah. Look, I'm a, I'm a lifelong learner and I love, I love learning and I love reading and I love listening to um, audio books and reading books and listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos and all of that. But I think the one thing personally that I'd love to get better at is um, photography. Mm. Uh, and ironically, it's another way to listen. Mm. And, and, it, and it struck me just this week. Um, this week you know, we had our big um, swim program where the, there was a, a big race around a headland where people swam out into the ocean, some of their biggest challenges ever. And there was a formal photographer who was there taking photos and it was all the classic photos of them approaching the finish line with the arms in the air. But I had a little small camera, just not a, not a phone, just a little small camera, not a full lens or anything like that, just something that could fit in your pocket. And I made a point of taking all the photos behind the finish line, the hugs with the parents, the hugs with the friends, the crying of success and achievement, the crying of pain. And one of my favorite photos that I took was a grandfather. I only discovered this afterwards uh, who had his two grandchildren running with him to the finish line. And I took a photo of the three of them afterwards and posted it on the group Facebook site. And uh, he said is that he, he was going to make it into a profile photo. So I'd love personally to explore more creative expressions going forward. And I think photography is an easy way for me to access it. And it also helps me to relax and not think about a hundred million deep listeners by 2030 as well. Well, thank you again for taking the time to spread that goal through us. I will do as much justice as I can because, uh, I want people to benefit as much as I have from your message, Oscar. Thanks for giving us a behind the scenes look at your life 
and uh, sharing the truth of you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Well, there you go, friends. Behind the scenes with Oscar Tromboli. Again, I'm really on fire about his little book, Deep Listening Impact Beyond Words. Uh, you can get yours and get some for your friends at Oscar Tromboli, T R I M B O L I dot com. And if you got value from the show, please let Oscar know. Leave a review in iTunes for The Ziegler Show or wherever you listen to your podcast. Okay, coming up next in show 654, we hear from Zig Ziglar. He tells what is actually a fairly disheartening story of testimonies of how negative labels dramatically affect people's lives uh, and, and, and do them for the worse. I mean, it just is a handicap that some people never get beyond. As you know, he doesn't often spend time communicating anything negative, but to drive home his point he did in this clip, as always though, he uses it to empower us to make the point. From the clip, I posted this message to the Ziegler audience. Number one, what negative label from others or yourself do you strive to reject? Number two, what positive label do you strive to be, become? I asked Michelle Prince to join me to talk through your comments, and we got through as many as we could. It was surprisingly, most of them, they may mention the negative, but most people wanted to talk about the positive label that they are going after. They're striving to become and they're embracing. So this is a very tangible issue for all of our lives and getting it on the table is immensely significant. So looking forward to joining you in that show. Till then, thanks as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance 